Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Innal hamdalillah nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nastaghfiruh wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa sayyiati a'malina man yahdihillahu fala mudilla lah wa man yudlil fala hadiya lah wa ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan 'abduhu wa rasuluhu Amma ba'd. So carrying on then with the various supplications that are connected to the prayer. We are now on the section of the prayer right at the end. After the tashahud up to the final salam when you are sitting in the prayer at the end. What are the du'as and supplications that you can read at that time? So here the Shaykh says, إِنَّ مِنَ الْمَوَاطِنِ الَّتِي يُسْتَحَبُّ لِلْمُسْلِمِ أَنْ يَتَحَرَّى فِيهَا الدُّعَاءِ فِي الصَّلَاةِ مَا بَيْنَ التَّشَهُّدِ وَالتَّسْلِيمِ That one of the places where it is recommended for a Muslim to focus on making dua and make a point of making dua in the prayer is between the tashahud and the salam, that final part of the sitting at the end of the prayer before giving the salam. فَقَدْ ثَبَتَ فِي الصَّحِحَيْنِ عن عبد الله بن مسعود رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أو أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم علمه التشهد ثم قال في آخره because it is established in البخاري and مسلم from the hadith of عبد الله بن مسعود that the Prophet ﷺ taught him the tashahud. And he said to him at the end of it, Then after your tashahud, select from the supplications the most pleasing to you, and supplicate with it. وفي رواية لمسلم ثم ليتخير من المسألة ما شاء. Then let him select from the affairs of what he wishes to make dua for and do so. والأولى بالمسلم في هذا المقام أن يأتي بالأدعية المأثورة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم The preference is that you should recite du'as that are established in the sunnah. There are many du'as like when you look in the fortress of the Muslim, you'll find many du'as that can be recited. It is better and preferred that a Muslim sticks to those authenticated du'as upon the wordings that they are. وَإِنْ دَعَى بِأَدْعِيَةٍ غَيْرِهَا لَا مَحْذُورَ فِيهَا But if a person makes dua 
with other du'as himself, some other forms of du'a, that there is no prohibition in that. فَلَا بَأْسَ بِذَلِكَ Then there's no problem in that. Any other permissible du'a that you wish to make, it is permissible to make it. وَفِيمَا يَلِي ذِكْرٌ لِبَعْضِ الْأَدْعِيَةِ الْمَأْثُورَةِ فِي هَذَا الْمَقَامِ So now he's going to mention some of the du'as that can be recited in that final sitting at the end. ففي الصحيحين عن ابي هريره رضي الله عنه قال اتمنشن البخاري المسلم that the uh, from abu huraira that the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اذا تشهد احدكم فليستعذ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ أَرْبَعٍ That when one of you does the tashahud, then he should seek refuge in Allah from four things. He should seek refuge in Allah from four things. يَقُولُ اللَّهُمَّ إِنِّي أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ عَذَابِ جَهَنَّمُ He should say, O oh Allah, I seek refuge with you from the punishment of the hellfire. I seek refuge in you from the punishment of Jahannam, one of the names of the hellfire. وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ And from the punishment of the grave. وَمِنْ فِتْنَةِ الْمَحْيَا وَالْمَمَاتِ And from the trials of life and death. وَمِنْ شَرِّ فِتْنَةِ الْمَسِيحِ الدَّجَّالِ And from the evil trial of the Dajjal, المسيح الدجال. وَقَدْ ذَهَبَ بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ إِلَى الْقَوْلِ بِوُجُوبِ هَذِي الْإِسْتِعَاذَ قُبَيْلَ السَّلَامِ Some of the scholars say that it's obligatory to do that dua at the end of the prayer before giving the salam. Others they say it's recommended only. Some say it's obligatory to say that dua at the end. Others have the opinion that it is recommended only. وَجُمْهُورُ الْعُلَمَا عَلَىٰ أَنَّهَا مُسْتَحَبَّةٌ وَلَيْسَتْ بِوَاجِبَةٌ The majority of the scholars, their opinion is, this dua is only mustahab, that your prayer would still be valid even if you didn't do it. But some of them say you've got to do it, that it's obligatory to recite this dua at the end as well. And a person wouldn't miss it, even if the opinion that a person takes is that it's mustahab, then why would you leave out a dua of this nature? It does not make sense that a person would leave out a dua like this, seeking refuge in Allah from these affairs, and these are affairs of severity, the hellfire, the punishment of the grave, the trials of life and death, and the trial of the Dajjal. A person should become accustomed to reading this dua at the end of the prayer before the salam, 
even if it's only mustahab. Because remember, the highest level of iman is when a person does not just the obligations, but also the mustahab actions. The higher levels of iman are those believers who don't just do the obligations and that's it, but they do the mustahab actions as well. That is from the highest levels of iman. And they don't just leave the haram things, but they leave the makruh as well. So they fulfill the obligations and the mustahab. And they leave the haram of course, and also the makruh. And it's mentioned for the highest level of iman, even some of the mubah things, they leave them as well. Even some of the mubah things that are permissible, neither haram, neither halal, mubah, it's allowed, permissible things. They leave even some of those off, lest they fall into time-wasting or affairs of no benefit. They even leave those things off. That's mentioned about the characteristics of those who are at the highest level of iman, the muhsinun. So what are you exactly seeking refuge from in this dua? Firstly, min adabi jahannam. From the punishment of the hellfire. Qaddamat ta'awudha min adabi jahannam. Seeking refuge from the punishment of the hellfire has been given precedence. That's the first thing that has been mentioned in this dua. لِأَنَّهُ الْغَايَةُ أَلَّتِي لَا أَعْظَمَ فِي الْهَلَاكِ مِنْهَا Because that is the absolute pinnacle of destruction. There is no destruction beyond that. A person is in the hellfire, that is the ultimate level of destruction now for that person. In the hellfire. With the worst of the punishments in the hellfire. There is no other punishment beyond that. It is the hellfire at the ultimate level. So that is therefore the first thing to seek refuge from. The barzakh, there is punishment in that. But then after the barzakh comes the hellfire which is more severe. That is the most severe. That's why the hellfire is mentioned first. Then the barzakh comes afterwards, the adab al-qabr. So, قَدَّمَ أَتَّعُوضَ مِنْ عَذَابِ جَهَنَّمْ لِأَنَّهُ الْغَايَةُ الَّتِي لَا أَعْظَمَ فِي الْهَلَاكِ مِنْهَا Because that is the ultimate level of punishment. There is nothing more severe in punishment than the hellfire. So that's the first thing that you seek refuge from. وَجَهَنَّمْ إِسْمٌ لِلنَّارِ الَّتِي أَعَدَّهَا اللَّهُ لِلْكُفَّارِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ And Jahannam is one of the names of the hellfire. Jahannam is one of the names of the hellfire that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for the disbelievers. So then after that, at the next level is the barzakh, the adab al-qabr. Qawluhu wa min adab al-qabr fihi anna adab al-qabr haqqun وَأَنَّ الْمُسْلِمَ يَنْبَغِي عَلَيْهِ يَنَتَعَوَّذَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْهُ So this indicates that the punishment of the grave is true. It is real and it occurs 
And so the believer, the Muslim, it is appropriate and suitable and needed for him to seek refuge in Allah from the punishment of the grave. So that is at the second level of punishment. It is not as severe as the hellfire. What's the evidence in the Qur'an? That the barzakh, of course, it is not as severe as the hellfire. There is punishment of the grave, but not as severe as the hellfire. Ah, that one we mentioned about Pharaoh. There was the ayah regarding Pharaoh. Allah tells us about Pharaoh that he's in the hellfire now, or he's in the fire right now being punished. And nar, the nar, he's in the nar of the barzakh right now. Day and night, upon the fire of the barzakh. But then it says, وَيَوْمَ تَقُومُ But on the day when the hour is established, أَدْخِلُوا آلَ فِرْعَوْنَ أَشَدَّ الْعَذَابِ Then it is said, now put them, Pharaoh and his people, put them now into the more severe punishment. So they are being taken out of the punishment of the grave, and being put into, as the Qur'an says, a more severe punishment. And that is, of course, the punishment of the hellfire. So we know the punishment of the hellfire is the most severe. And then there is the punishment of the grave with all of the affairs that occur there. And then after that, وَمِن فِتْنَةِ الْمَحْيَا وَالْمَمَاتِ أي الْحَيَاةِ وَالْمَوْتِ وَالْمُرَادُ التَّعَوُّذُ مِنْ جَمِيعِ فِتْنِ الدَّارِينَ فِي الْحَيَاةِ مِنْ كُلِّ مَا يَضَرُّ بِدِينِ الْإِنسَانُ أَوْ بَدَنِهِ أَوْ دُنْيَاهِ وَفِي الْمَوْتِ مِنْ شَدَائِدِهِ وَمَا يَكُونُ بَعْدَهُ مِنْ أَهْوَالِ So the point of this section, مِنْ فِتْنَةِ الْمَحْيَاءِ وَالْمَمَاتِ is that you are asking for protection from the tests and trials of life and death whether it is or in in relation to all of the tests and trials that occur in this life and in the afterlife. In this life you're asking Allah to protect you from everything that may harm you, that may harm your religion, may harm your body, may harm your worldly affairs. You ask Allah to protect you from all of that which may cause you harm in your religion, in your body, in your worldly affairs. And then also, at the time of death, in death, you ask Allah for protection from the trials of death. And what comes after death? All of the calamities, the ahwal, all of the terrors that will come after death. Shaykh al-Ithaymeen, Rahimallah Ta'ala mentioned about this, min fitnatil mahya wal mamat. That one of the trials that may occur is the trial al mamat at the time of death itself. That at the time of death, when the angel of death is now to extract the soul from that person's body, you're on your deathbed. 
your final moments before your soul now exits. It is mentioned that the Shaykh Al-Thaymin mentioned that the shaitan may come to a person at that moment. Your final moment, you're about to die, the soul is about to go. In those final moments, the shaitan may come to you. And he may attempt, one last attempt, to whisper to you. And it's mentioned, as Shaykh Al-Thaymin said, that perhaps the shaitan may come to you at that moment, in your final moments on this earth, he comes to you in the appearance of your father. May come to you in the appearance of your father and say to you, my son, Islam was a mistake. It's Christianity. Or my son, Islam was a mistake. It's Judaism. Shaitan comes in the appearance of your father, telling you and trying to convince you at the last moment even to apostate. To apostate and leave Islam for Christianity or Judaism. Or, and of course, coming in the appearance of your father, added to the fact that you are in the difficulties of the final moments of life, with that combination, then perhaps, perhaps, in that moment of weakness, a person falls into great error. So that is one of the trials that Shaykh Al-Thameen mentioned when he explained this section, Fitnatul Mahya Wal Mamat, in Sifatul Salah, the Prophet's prayer described. So you seek refuge, that you should be misguided even at the final moments, even at the final moments, because even if in those final last moments you became misguided, and a person apostated, then that will be his accountability on that. Died upon kufr. That will be his accountability in the hellfire forever. And that's why in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, وَإِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ لَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ حَتَّى مَا يَكُونُ بَيْنَهَا وَبَيْنَهُ إِلَّا ذِرَاعٍ فَيَسْبِقُ عَلَيْهِ الْكِتَابِ فَيَعْمَلُ بِعَمَلِ أَهْلِ النَّارِ فَيَدْخُلُهَا That maybe one of you, you do the actions and the deeds deserving of entering paradise. You are upon the actions and the deeds deserving for entry into paradise. Up until you are practically in paradise, as they say in English, one foot in. You are almost there, nothing between you and paradise other than an arm span. But then in the final moment, perhaps you do something of kufr and shirk from the actions of the people of the hellfire. And so in that final moment when you were practically in paradise, you end up actually ending up in hellfire. Hadith of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned in 40 hadith of Imam Al-Nawawi. Many of you will have seen it there. So you seek refuge from the trials of life and death. وَمِن فِتْنَةِ الْمَسِيحِ And from the trials of Al-Dajjal, Al-Masih, Al-Dajjal. 
And why is the Dajjal known as Al-Masih? Al-Masih Al-Dajjal. Various reasons. One of them, they say, because it comes from the verb of Masaha, which uh, uh, relates to traversing. And we know that the Dajjal will traverse upon the lands when he comes. One land to the next land to the next land. He will traverse upon the lands except Mecca and Medina. Except Mecca and Medina. He will not be able to enter Mecca and Medina. It's mentioned that there are angels guarding the gates of Mecca and Medina. And not only the gates from the main entry into Mecca and Medina, but even all the other um, the, the pathways and routes that could lead into Mecca and Medina. There are angels standing on all of those at that time, preventing the Dajjal from entering from any angle into Mecca and Medina. So that's one of the reasons. Another reason they say Al-Masih, again from Masaha, because of his eye, one of the eyes of the Dajjal, it is ruined. It's mentioned it is like a floating grape and it's protruding and it's blank. But it's blank. He does not see from that eye. So that is another reason they mention Al-Masih, Al-Dajjal. Al-Dajjal, what's the meaning of Al-Dajjal itself? Kadhab. Hmm? Deceiver. So in Arabic you would have, if you go the levels of things, you have somebody who is a kathib. A kathib is a, a liar. But then you go higher than that, you have a kathab who is a persistent, huh? persistent. A persistent and excessive liar. Dajjal. A persistent, uh, sorry, kathab, a persistent and excessive liar. But then you have dajjal, which is even more than just kathab. That is the one who lies in a manner that creates deception, such that you start to think that his lies are truth. It's one thing somebody being a kathab. A persistent liar, but everybody knows he's a outright liar. It's another thing when somebody lies, and it, it, the lie is of such a nature and manner that it's so deceptive, you start to maybe become confused. Is it the truth? That's the Dajjal. The excessive and persistent liar with deception within his lies that it confuses the people. Is it true? Is it a lie? Dajjal. So here the Shaykh says, Al-Masih al-Dajjal huwa manba' min manabi' al-kufr wal-dhalal. He is the source of, or a source from the sources of kufr, disbelief and misguidance. Wa masdar min masadir al-fitan wal-awjal. And he is a source of great trials and tribulations that will occur. 
He will exit upon the people at the end of time. وَهُوَ شَرَقٌ مِنْ أَشْرَاطِ السَّاعَةِ And that is one of the signs from the signs of the hour. مِنْ أَشْرَاطِ السَّاعَةِ Meaning عَلَامَاتُ السَّاعَةِ سُمِّ Oh, he mentions here. سُمِّيَ مَسِيحًا لِأَنَّ إِحْدَى عَيْنَيْهِ مَمْسُوحًا One of his eyes is blanked out. فَهُوَ أَعَوَرُ عَيْنِهِ الْيُمْنَى He is uh, uh, blanked out in that way with his right eye. وَسُمِّيَ دَجَّالًا مِنَ الدَّجَلِ وَهُوَ الْكَذِبِ وَفِتْنَةُ خُرُوجِهِ مِنْ أَعْظَمِ الْفِتَنِ وَمَا مِنْ نَبِيٍّ بَعَثَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَّا حَذَّرَ مِنْهُ قَوْمَهُ وَأَنْذَرَهُ So he will be of the greatest fitna and trial that will occur and there is not a prophet from the prophets and messengers who went by except that they used to warn their people against the Dajjal. It's mentioned in one narration, the messenger was warning against the Dajjal so much, some of the companions thought that, they said in the narration, we thought maybe the Dajjal is here now. So much the messenger was warning against the Dajjal, they said we thought maybe he's here behind the tree right now. Such was the level of the warning against the Dajjal. And there is the famous hadith mentioned about Tamim Dari having met the Dajjal. Because what is established and correct, inshallah ta'ala, the narration that mentions the story of Tamim al-Dari, before he was a Muslim, before he was a Muslim, that he and a group of people, they went out on a voyage on the sea. And when they were on the voyage, a storm appeared at sea and they lost their course. And the storm battered their ship and they basically went wherever the winds and the storm took them. And so they ended up becoming lost at sea for a month. The storm and the winds battered their ship and they lost their bearings and they were thrown away out at sea. And they were lost at sea for a month until they came across an island. They came across an island somewhere in the middle of the ocean, lost at sea. So when they came to that island, they were on a reasonable sized ship. They got off onto one of the, what we call now the lifeboats, the small boat. And they went on to the island. When they got to the island, it's mentioned that they came across the Jassasa, this beast full of hair, fur, fur and hair on this beast everywhere, completely covered in hair and fur, to the extent that they said in the narration, we couldn't tell where the front of this animal, this thing was, or where the back of it was, where is the head of it, where is the face of it, covered in that fur and hair. And then they spoke to it, and then to summarize, this beast tells them that he is the Jassasa, the one who uh, narrates to the Dajjal the information of what's happening. And he tells them to go to a monastery, a deserted monastery on the island. So they go up there. And when they go up there, they say, we came across a man, the biggest we've ever seen. The biggest 
man we have ever come across. Huge individual. Biggest they've ever seen. And it's mentioned about the chains and his hands are shackled up to his neck and his ankles and knees and all of it shackled up with chains. And then the story carries on and they speak to him and he asks about this man Muhammad, has he come and what's he doing? And they say, yes, he's there and people are following him. And then he asks about uh, certain areas of Palestine and other places and they tell him. And then in the end, he is the one, he's the Dajjal. He tells them, I am the Dajjal and soon I will exit. I am the Dajjal and soon I will exit. So it's a long hadith, but it goes through all of that story. And so Tamim al-Dari was non-Muslim at the time, but then later on when he accepted Islam, etc., he mentioned that narration to the Prophet wasallam, and the Prophet was pleased with that narration. He said, look, this is what I was telling you. And now we have this story from Tamim, who saw that as well. And so the Messenger mentioned that to them on the member once. So that is established. Some of the scholars, they say, may not be established, but it is established. That narration is established regarding that occurring. And so you see the misguidance of the likes of Yasser Qadina, who denies, practically denies the reality of some of the signs of the hour. You have not just the Dajjal, Ya'juj Ma'juj in particular, you heard his statements and various things. They deny the reality of these affairs because for their intellectual minds, their scientific minds, it doesn't fit. How could there be a man shackled up somewhere on an island? And he's been there all that time. How could that be? We, 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 we've mapped every inch of the world, as they say. And that is not true. There are places in the Amazon rainforest maybe man has never stepped foot onto yet. So they say, how could this be? How could there be an island like this? And how could this story be true? And how could this narration, this and that? How could there be Ya'juj Ma'juj? And they get right near to the end. And a bit of light comes through. Then they rest and they come next day and it's blocked up again. And then they open and light comes through. They're about to get out of the cave. But then they rest and then it's blocked up. How could this be true? How could there be these tribes of people like that? This is from the intellect that is misguiding. And that's why the scholars, they say, intelligence is only beneficial if that intelligence helps you and aids you upon the understanding of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. The intelligence that misguides you is useless. That is the intelligence of the philosopher, the intelligence of the people of rhetoric. Uh, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned that, that they have intelligence, but they don't have uh, like application of that intelligence. They have intelligence. Some of those philosophers and people of rhetoric, smart people, intelligent people, they have that. They have ability to speak and logic and rationale and all those things. But they don't have the reality of application of that knowledge, of that intelligence. So it's as though their intelligence is of no use. So these people, they allow their so-called intelligence to override what is there in the authentic narrations so that is what you seek refuge from also from the Dajjal. And it's mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim of Aisha radiyallahu anha anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yad'u fi salah that the messenger used to make dua in the prayer 
اللهم إني أعوذ بك من عذاب القبر ومن عذاب وأعوذ بك من فتنة المسيح الدجال وأعوذ بك من فتنة المحيا وفتنة الممات اللهم إني أعوذ بك من المأثم والمغرم فقال له قائل ما أكثر ما تستعيذ من المغرم فقال إن الرجل إذا غرم حدث فكذب ووعد فأخرف والمأثم هو الأمر الذي يأثم به الإنسان من جميع المعاصي والذنوب والمغرم ما يلزم الإنسان أداؤه بسبب جناية أو معاملة أو نحو ذلك فالمأثم إشارة إلى حق الله والمغرم إشارة إلى حق العباد هذا المسنجي يستمك دعاء أو الله I seek refuge in you from the punishment of the grave and I seek refuge in you from the trial of the Dajjal and I seek refuge in you from the trial of life and from the trial of death أو الله I seek refuge in you from المأثم والمغرم المأثم Regarding sinning, you seek refuge in Allah from falling into sinning against Allah. And Al-Maghram, basically regarding the rights of the people, you ask Allah for protection from falling into taking the rights of the people and wronging the people. And also, من الأدعية في هذا المقام ما رواه مسلم في صحيحه عن علي بن أبي طالب رضي الله عنه في حديث طويل uh, and there's a, a lengthy hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib in Sahih Muslim where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said uh, uh, oh, oh, he said that one of the last things the messenger used to read just before giving salam after the tashahud was Allahumma ghfir li ma qaddamtu wa ma akhartu وَمَا أَسْرَرْتُ وَمَا أَعْلَنْتُ وَمَا أَسْرَفْتُ وَمَا أَنْتَ أَعْلَمُ بِهِ مِنِّي أَنْتَ الْمُقَدِّمُ وَأَنْتَ الْمُؤَخِّرُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ He used to say, Oh Allah, forgive me for that which I have put forth, meaning that which I've already done, and that which perhaps is yet to be done from me. And also that which I have concealed and that which is public. And in that which I have asraftu, meaning gone beyond the boundaries, gone beyond what is suitable. And that which you are more knowledgeable about than myself. Perhaps certain affairs that have occurred from me. Ant al-muqaddimu, you are al-muqaddim, meaning, liman tasha' bil-ma'una wal-tawfiq wal-sadad. وأنت المؤخر لمن تشاء بالخذلان والحرمان وعدم المعونة أنت المقدم You are the one who puts forth the aid for the believer And أنت المؤخر You are the one who keeps back holds back the aid from the believer So you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, 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 forgive for you these sins whether concealed or open in the past or the future, uh, those that you have committed and that which you have done wrong, oppressing yourself and going beyond the bounds, asking Allah for all of that, for forgiveness upon that, and to give you aid and success to stay away from those affairs. And also highlighting that Allah, you are al-mu'akhir, the one who holds back. And therefore a person falls into Errors and sins and may fall into uh, deprivation of those affairs. Or Allah deprives him of that and therefore he falls into those affairs. And then, La ilaha illa ant at the end. That there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except you. 
Also, عن بعض أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لرجل One of the companions of the messenger mentioned that the messenger said to a man This hadith is in Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah But how can this be an authentic hadith? One of the companions of the messenger We don't even have a name in the chain of narration that the messenger said to a man, who is this man? The chain of narration has unidentified individuals. How could this be an authentic hadith? The sheikh says at the bottom it is authenticated by a sheikh al-Albani. But how? When there are unidentified men in the chain of, in this hadith? Of the chains? Of the chain of narration? Let's assume there are none. Firstly, because عن بعض أصحاب رسول الله أو النبي One of the companions of the messenger That doesn't even make a difference Every companion is from the Udul It doesn't make a difference It doesn't matter if you don't know the name of the companion All companions are legitimate In fact, they are so legitimate In the narrations, you don't even say that they are legitimate When you do change of narration You get a hadith Narrated by so and so, from so and so, from so and so, from Anas ibn Malik, from the Prophet. So, these people in the chain of narration, when you look at the books of hadith, they'll say, okay, this person, he was XYZ, reliable, he's okay. This person, he was this, that, the other, made some mistakes, but it's okay. This person, XYZ. When they get to Anas ibn Malik, what do they say? Nothing. Nothing. You don't say anything. You don't say Anas ibn Malik, yes, he's absolutely good, legitimate. You don't say it. Because Anas ibn Malik is a companion and every companion automatically by default is on the green tick. And if you see a book where they do say something, they get to the narrator, the, the companion, and they say, yes, companion, he is thiqa. Companions are all thiqa. So if you see a book sometimes and they say the companion, then they say next to him thiqa, that shows you what? Shows you that the person who wrote the book is a miskin who doesn't understand hadith and doesn't understand sciences of hadith. You don't write next to the name of the companion, thiqa. All of the companions are thiqat. It doesn't require for you to write thiqa next to a companion. And sometimes some students used to fall into those errors. So here then, it doesn't matter about that. But what about lirajulin, that, um, that the messenger said to a man? So yeah, that again would have the same kind of principle behind it. If the messenger said to a man, that means the man was there with the messenger, met the messenger, and so it could be argued he was likely a companion. He is a companion. Very rare that anybody apostated afterwards, very few examples. So that would be a companion as well. And that is something you would look into the other chains of narration. When you look into the other chains of narration, you'd probably be able to work out who the man was. Because in certain versions of the hadith, they may mention a name. So anyway, it says here, كَيْفَ تَقُولُ فِي الصَّلَاةِ So the messenger said to this man, What do you read in your prayer? What do you read in your prayer? He said, قَالْ أَتَشَهَّدُ وَأَقُولُ That I do the tashahud, when I do the tashahud, I say, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-jannah. Oh Allah, I ask you for paradise. وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنَ النَّارِ 
and I seek refuge in you from the fire. Ama inni la uhsinu dandanataka wala dandanata mu'ab. He says that I am not good at, I'm not proficient, dandanataka wala dandanata mu'ab. I'm not proficient at saying it the way you say it, O Messenger, or the way that Mu'adh ibn Jabal says it, but this is how I say it. This man saying to the Messenger, I'm not proficient at how you say it, the full dua and the wording, I'm not proficient at how Mu'adh ibn Jabal says it, but this is how I say it. Allahumma inni as'aluka al-jannah, and a'udhu bika min adab al-nar. Oh Allah, I ask you for paradise, and I ask you to protect me from the fire. Simple like that. So then the messenger says to him, فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ حَوْلَهَا نُدَنْدٍ The messenger said, what you've said there basically, round and about that, that's what our statements revolve. The du'as that I make, and Mu'adh ibn Jabal, that he has learnt, lengthier du'as, we've seen here now, some of them are lengthier. The messenger said to him, basically that's okay. What we say revolves around what you've said. That you ask Allah for paradise, and you ask Allah to protect you from the hellfire, that's the basic foundation of it. So he said, نُدَنْدِنُ حَوْلَهَا أو حَوْلَهَا نُدَنْدِنُ that around that, what you said there, our statements, our du'as revolve around that. That's the basis. That's all good. A hawla talabi duhuli jannah wa najat min nar nudandin. That basically the foundation is we ask Allah to enter us into paradise and to remove us or save us from the fire. Waddendana anyatakalam al rajulu bil kalam fatusma' nahumatuhu wala yufam kalamu. Dandana in the usage of it in the Arabic language, it's when somebody is speaking, and you can hear their, the, uh, um, the tone of their voice, and the, 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 the notes of their voice, you can hear that, but you can't hear what they're saying. You can't hear the words that they are saying, but you can hear them speaking. You can hear them speaking, you can hear the, the intonations you can hear their voice going up and down and talking. You can hear all of that, but you can't make out the words. That's dandana linguistically. But here it was in reference to the du'as that they make. And then another example here in Bukhari and Muslim from Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu أَنَّهُ قَالَ لِلنَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ عَلِّمْنِ دُعَاءً أَدْعُو بِهِ فِي صَلَاتِ Abu Bakr as-Siddiq said, O Messenger, teach me a dua that I can read you my prayer. Qal, qul, the Messenger said to him, say, Allahumma inni zalamtu nafsi zulman kathira, wala yaghfiru al-dhunuba illa ant, faghfir li maghfiratan min indika warhamni, innaka anta al-ghafur al-rahim. That, O Allah, I have wronged myself a great amount. And nobody forgives their sins except you. So forgive me with a forgiveness from yourself and have mercy upon me. Indeed, you are the oft forgiving, the oft merciful. That is another dua you can recite at the end before the salam. And there's another example mentioned here 
uh, the dua mentioned here Allahumma bi'ilmika al-ghayba wa qudratika ala al-khalqi ahyini ma alimta al-hayata khayran li Oh Allah, by your knowledge of the unseen and your ability upon all of the creation, your control upon all of the creation, allow me to live as long as life is better for me. وَتَوَفَّنِي إِذَا عَلِمْتَ الْوَفَاةَ خَيْرًا لِي And cause me to die when you know that death is better for me. If that's the time for me, then cause me to die if death is better for me. اللهم وأسألك خشيتك في الغيب والشهادة أو الله I ask you for uh, to give me submission and humility before you whether it is private or openly in all circumstances to make me submissive وأسألك كلمة الحق في الرضا والغضب and I ask you to speak that I be of those who speaks the truth whether in a state of pleasure or anger وَأَسْأَلُكَ الْقَصْدَ فِي الْفَقْرِ وَالْغِنَى And that I return to you and seek from you in times of poverty or, or enrichment. وَأَسْأَلُكَ نَعِيمًا لَا ينفد. And that I ask you for a blessing that does not run out ever. وَأَسْأَلُكَ قُرَّةَ عَيْنٍ لَا تَنْقَطِعُ And I ask you for the coolness of the eye, meaning blessings that never cut off. وَأَسْأَلُكَ الرِّضَى بَعْدَ الْقَضَى And I ask you to give me patience and contentment uh, after the decree occurs, whatever may be in the decree of hardship. وَأَسْأَلُكَ بَرْدَ الْعَيْشِ بَعْدَ الْمَوْتِ And I ask you for the coolness of existence after death, meaning to save me from the affairs of punishment after death. وَأَسْأَلُكَ لَذَّةَ النَّظَرِ إِلَى وَجْهِكَ And I ask you for the delight of looking at your face. وَالشَّوْقَ and to give me a desire to want to meet you. Asking Allah to give you a desire to want to meet Allah. It's like, um, I remember one of the scholars in Medina once, saying, he was talking about the Prophet. Uh, here it's of course about meeting Allah, but he was talking about the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and the descriptions of the Messenger, and I remember him saying that, and he, he was, you know, really going into the lecture. It wasn't a lecture, it was just a private sitting. And he was really going into it and talking about the messenger and passionate. And he said, he said, if only right now, if I saw the messenger, I'd probably faint. If I saw, if, you, if the messenger was here right now in front of me, he said, oh, who knows, I'd probably just faint or something. If the messenger was right here before my eyes right now. And that was, uh, if, you, if you were in that gathering and you, you saw what it was, it was the level of his passion for his love of the messenger. That you have that kind of desire to want to see the messenger. And even more so here now, to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you ask Allah to give you that, that passion or that desire to want to see Allah and to meet Allah. فِي غَيْرِ وَلَا فِتْنَ and, and avoiding any type of harm that may occur or any type of trials that may misguide you. Allahumma zayyinna bi zinatil iman wa ja'alna hudatan muhtadeen. Allah, uh, uh, beautify us with the beauty of iman, adorn us with the adornment of iman, and make us from those who are uh, uh, guides and guided. That we be guided and we be guides to others. So that's a, a lengthy narration there as well.
for the dua that can be read at the end. وَقَدْ أَفْرَدَ الْحَافِظُ بْنُ رَجَبْ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ رِسَالَةً لَطِيفَةً فِي شَرْحِ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ وَبِأَنْ مَعَانِهِ This particular narration, as you can see, it's slightly lengthy, and Ibn Rajab has written a small treatise uh, on that particular hadith, going through all of those sections of the narration and giving the explanations of it. And that brings us to the end of this particular chapter. So next time then, inshallah, we'll begin with 146, uh, which is still on the same topic. Uh, and it's uh, going to be an explanation of this particular hadith that we just spoke about. It's going to break down all the details of this narration, so we'll do that next time, uh, an explanation of this hadith that we've just read right now. So, stop on that for today.